Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, as I mentioned, is the last Sunday in this sermon series that I've been doing about giving. And we've been delving into this topic, this question rather, why give money to this congregation? And if you've missed out on some of the last three sermons on this, I really suggest you look up our podcast. I can help you do so and listen to the previous three to set the stage for what I'm talking about today. Because every single week as we've looked at common answers given to that question, we end up finding that those reasons have been somewhat invalidated. Tithing is obsolete in a formal sense, but what God cares about through tithing, like caring for generational poverty, that still matters today. Giving to God, according to Jesus, is in fact giving to the least amongst his people. And doing the work of the Lord, as we talked about, is something every human being is created for because we are created in the image of God. Each week we have gone through this, and I don't know about you, but maybe you have found fewer and fewer reasons to contribute to this congregation. Today's going to be a little bit different. I I have mentioned each week that that why was meant to be a probing question, not a rhetorical, let me give you all the reasons why. Today is going to be a bit different, because I'm actually going to take a stab at maybe giving some reasons why. However, in the spirit of this series, it will not be without a probing question through the second half of this sermon. So, why give money to this congregation? In order to give some, I think, possible reasons or maybe some valid reasons for us today, we need to look at what money does for our congregation. Or to frame the question this way, what does our budget do? What does our budget do? Our budget is roughly around, and these are going to all be estimates today, about $190,000. 130,000 of that, about two-thirds, pays people, one of which, and the large portion of which, is me to be able to be here. But it also pays for a secretary, a music director when we had one, and again, we'll have one again. Uh, Secretary, music director, treasurer, custodian, groundskeeping. And again, I honor the fact that I am a major part of this, and I am extremely thankful to God for all of your generosity. Not just these last few years, but ongoing generosity years prior and the generosity of many prior to that, that have provided for pastors to be here and now my family and I to be here. If it wasn't for that generosity, we would not be able to be here. I thank God for that. Another portion of our budget, about 35,000 of it, 15 to 20 percent of the total budget, in a sense goes to building matters, utilities for this space, but also for the parsonage next door. Another huge gift and blessing for me and my family that this congregation has provided housing for pastors in years prior and still today. The remainder, roughly, and again, these are estimates, so the numbers aren't going to all add up, but about 20,000 goes towards a bunch of other things. uh, Altar guild materials, office supplies, devotional materials, and if I remember correctly, some money that's still being paid on a loan in the parsonage. Money given to this congregation gets used, much of which I honor does end up coming towards me and my family as this congregation has supported me. And yet, it also goes towards many others within and outside of this congregation. And beyond that, there is a lot of other giving that takes place within this congregation. The food pantry, socks for the homeless, 
Not to mention all the other things that go on between you all as you listen and love, lend an ear, lend food, clothing, whatever it is, time and relationships together. That giving must never be diminished. It is the love of God that is flowing through us as his people. And so when we think about those topics we had the last few weeks, like giving to God and doing the work of the Lord, contributing financially to this congregation can be part of that. One of the many facets of giving to God and of doing the work of the Lord. We just can't equate it with the totality of it. Right? Giving to the offering plate, setting up an automatic deposit, isn't the totality of giving to God and doing the work of the Lord. It's much bigger than that, but it can be part of it in that way. So as we consider reasons, then, I have a few that I'd like to put forward for us today. One reason that somebody might contribute to this congregation is to support people, okay? to support people. Again, myself and the other workers that are here. And, and Paul talks about this in his letter to the church in Corinth, that those that uh, proclaim the gospel have a right to make, earn a living from the gospel itself. And yet Paul himself actually sets that aside and says, I don't want anything from you all because I want to make sure you all understand that this gospel is meant to be free. Nevertheless, again, there is that connection that those that proclaim the gospel can earn a living from it. And so some might choose to contribute to this congregation to support the work of the proclamation of the gospel. And I understand I have a unique role in that as your pastor. However, I think it's important to remember I am not the only proclaimer of the gospel. We are all called into that in some ways, great or small. And contributing financially to this congregation isn't saying, now I've got nothing to do because the pastor's got the rest of the work. Nevertheless, again, you can contribute to this congregation, I think in a very good way, to support the work of the gospel. A second reason why somebody might contribute to this congregation is because they are a member of this congregation. And members have a different responsibility than those who are not members. When you became a member of this congregation, you took an oath before everybody here. A question was asked something like, do you promise to support the work of this congregation with your prayers and your gifts that God has given you? And you answered, I will, with the help of God. Right, supporting this congregation with the gifts that God has given you. That is not equal to money, but it doesn't leave out the idea of monetary contributions. Members have a certain responsibility. That when we think about our budget, for instance, it's not some separate entity out there. It is our budget, something we have agreed upon and therefore have responsibility to figure out what we're going to do about it. So as members, we have a different responsibility. And yet I want to be clear about this, that even as members, our giving can change. At times in life, we may be in a position where we can contribute more to this congregation. But there's also times where as members, we may have to contribute less. Or even times where we are so financially strapped that we cannot contribute to this congregation in that way. And that's completely fine. What Christ cares about is mercy Not some sort of legalistic obligation that people must always pay to be considered faithful Christians. No, we are in this together and we all function uniquely in these regards as members goes. Another reason why somebody might choose to contribute to this congregation is because they just want to, right? 
They like what's going on through this place and through these people. You may like what's been going on in years past and want it to continue on. You may be excited about the possibilities of where this congregation may end up being in years ahead as far as what we are doing in the love of Christ. And so you just have this desire to give. This can all be part of this response that God gives us his grace and mercy. And out of that gratitude, we want to respond in one way or another. We are called, and again, in Christ, in mercy, to live a life of gratitude. And that is one of many ways that somebody might choose to respond. And so as we think about our deficit, for instance, and our budget, a few things sort of come up for us today. If you are a member, I really do actually encourage you to take a strong look at your finances and see maybe you can contribute more for a time. It doesn't need to be a permanent change, right? Things can fluctuate in life, and we need to be adaptable in that regards. But if you also cannot contribute at this time, there is no shame in that. It does not mean you are failing as a Christian person. But we do have a group responsibility to evaluate and to work together to address this thing called our budget. Those are some various reasons. There may be others that you have that are completely valid or maybe a a combination of many of those things. But as I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, these reasons are not going to be without a probing question. And that question really gets brought up today in the story of our gospel reading of the widow's might. The story goes that Jesus is at the temple And he's standing by where people bring all their contributions. A bunch of wealthy people are putting in large sums of money. And this widow shows up and she's just got two coins. Apparently everything that she has to live on. And she puts that in the offering as well. And Jesus commends her for it. And it's told frequently as this heartwarming, inspirational story. That widow didn't have and yet she gave. And you can go and do the same even if you do not have. It reminds me of many heartwarming stories today, inspirational stories that show up in the news. For instance, a five-year-old girl in California, a student, uh, recognizes and finds out that some of her fellow classmates have lunch debt. And because of it, they're not getting food. They're starting to go hungry. And she doesn't want this to happen. And so as a five-year-old, she sets up a hot cocoa stand and starts selling cocoa to pay off her fellow classmates' lunch debt. It's told us this heartwarming, inspirational story. Look what she can do with so little that she has, but still making a difference. But how often do we ask the question, why is this a problem in the first place? Why are there children going hungry because of lunch debt in the first place? There's so many of these stories that keep popping up. Uh, There's one of a a young boy writing a a letter to his teacher saying, I know teachers don't get paid a whole lot, so I want you to have some of my money and include some cash in the envelope. Or a a man named Goodman who uh, was a teacher and, and ended up getting cancer, had to go through a very prolonged treatment process, and in the midst of it was running out of sick days and was trying to figure out how he could possibly get back to work while receiving treatment so he wouldn't lose his job. A bunch of teachers pooled together their sick leave time and gave it to him, but had to do so twice because his health started to fail again a year or two later. Again, it's told in this inspirational way of look at people coming together, but are we ever asking the question, 
Why is this person's livelihood on the line because they got cancer? Why are they in danger of, of losing their job or health care or finances or something like this? I'm not saying there's a clear answer here, but why don't we ask that question? And it's the same in this story of the widow's might. We often focus on her giving, but we don't ask the question, why is this widow so poor that she only has two coins to live on? This is a very pressing question because throughout the entire Old Testament, Yahweh repeatedly tells his people, remember the widow amongst you. Pay attention to the widows. Listen to the words and cries of the widows because if you don't, I will hear them and I will act. Remember the widows, the orphans, and the fatherless again and again and again. And Jesus actually tells us in this story why this widow is so poor. Right prior to this, he tells his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to get all sorts of attention, walking around in flowing robes. They like the best seats in the synagogues to be honored and given authority. And they devour widows' houses. Why is this widow so poor? Because of the religious leaders. Because of the way that they have conceived of finances and set up their institution, it is keeping this woman poor. There is a sharpness to this story. That as all these people bring in their large contributions, somehow that is keeping this widow in poverty. This leaves us with a probing question. I asked at the beginning, what does our budget do? It does a lot of very good things, I think. It helps people. Yes, my wife, my family, and I, but many others who work here and many others in the community as well. These are good and beautiful things that we can do. But what else does our budget do? Does it possibly keep people in a disadvantaged state? Does it possibly, the way that we conceive of finances and the narrative around how we conceive of church finances, does that somehow keep people in poverty or in a disadvantaged state? When we think about finances and and we think about how our budget is set up, it's possible that there might be this underlying narrative when we look at it to say, well, who's the only one who really deserves to be cared for? Me, right? Right? In the midst of the church, who's the one that must be and is supposed to be fully provided for? Me. And then everybody else sort of gets (laughs) some lower position in that way. It's possible that that's something that our budget can do, unintentionally so, but it can do that as far as how we think about finances. If somebody in this congregation ends up strapped financially, what is the dialogue we have? Is it be like the widow and still give, or do we reshape our financial giving so that we can support that person, not just in the short term, but in the long term? If we find ourselves financially strapped at some point, and in a place that might be dangerous for us as far as sustainability goes, have we created a narrative enough that it is safe to say that? Or do we just feel like we are unimportant because over the years what the church talks about with money, the most important thing is the church budget. These are all possibilities and many other things about what our budget does, right? It can do and does a lot of good things, but it also may contribute in negative ways towards the lives of others. So do we need to meet our budget? Does our budget need to change? Does our thinking about finances as a church need to grow or be shaped in some way? 
Possibly yes to some, if not all of those things. If we don't meet our budget, does that mean that we have failed and sinned before God? No. That is an unintentional lie that comes up with the way we talk about finances as a church. Finances are complicated. They are complex. And this is a probing question in which there is never going to be one final easy answer. It is something that we must wrestle with now and in years ahead, all the years of our life. Because we may come up with a solution or a way forward, and it may have some consequences that we didn't foresee. That doesn't mean we stop. It means we keep wrestling with the ramifications of our decisions, not because of religious obligation, but because of mercy. Christ has called us to and for mercy. God sends Jesus in the fullness of his mercy. And now we have life and salvation overflowing in an abundance to us every single day. We live and move in that mercy and are called to shape our lives around that mercy as well. That is what we are called to. But our church budget, you see, is not some separate entity thing. Like we, we have this thing. We have this reality of a deficit. We have this reality of a budget. But while I have given reasons of why we might contribute, those things are not meant to be a law to us. Like what Christ cares about, what Christ desires, I believe, what I desire and what I trust all of us here desire is that we would be strengthened and encouraged in mercy towards one another because of the beautiful gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. We still have work to do. We always will have work to do as God's people. And he calls us in life to shape our lives around that mercy. That means that our budget is meant to be shaped by and driven by mercy. And in many respects, it might be already, but it doesn't mean that we don't continue to wrestle with and evaluate. But it's not just about that. It's about every single aspect of our lives as we walk in Christ and do the work of the Lord. May God empower us as we continue to wade into the unknowns of life with his love and compassion for one another and for others. And may he drive and lead us by his mercy and for his mercy that continues to be revealed through us. Now may the peace that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.